It's the Mermaid Podcast. We've got mermaids on the land and down below. Legs or fins, you will love our show. All the news that makes a splash is on the Mermaid Podcast. Hello, you're listening to the Mermaid Podcast, and I'm your host, Laura Von Holt, the fairy boss mother of Cinderly. Hi, mer friends. I have to tell you that I just had a big dream come true. Just now, I tried on a t-shirt with our logo on it. That's right. The Mermaid Podcast has merchandise. I'm very, very excited. We have two designs, one that has the Mermaid Podcast logo and one that says get hooked on the front and that has the logo on the back get hooked on the podcast get it thank you thank you everybody thank you for laughing i thought that was funny um all of our merchandise is hosted on a website called teespring and i realized that i could make beach towels and pillows and phone cases and tank tops and sweatshirts and leggings and i got very very excited so there's a whole bunch of stuff out there on the internet with our logo on it the link to our merch store will be in the show notes at mermaidpodcast.com and If you use code PODCAST, all capital letters, you can get 15% off of all the merchandise that you buy. T-shirts for everyone. There's all sizes. There's all colors. There's all styles. I mean, everyone. You don't need to buy clothes ever again. Just wear some Mermaid Podcast t-shirts. Just like me. That's what I'm going to be doing. (gasps) Okay, go get some. Okay, before we get into the episode, I want to give a listener shout out to TX Chrome, who says, Mermaids are the best, and so is this podcast. Very informative, funny, and somehow magical. Thank you, TX Chrome, for the review. We would love to hear what you think about the podcast by leaving a review on our Facebook page or Instagram. We are at Mermaid Podcasts on there. You could also use the hashtag... Um, mermaid podcast on twitter and we will find your comment um the even better thing that you can do if you like this podcast is to tell a friend about us because mermaids need to know mermaids have to help other mermaids let them know about where the mermaid stuff is the good mermaid stuff we got it okay today's episode features someone who i have been wanting to talk to for years actual years Rebecca Enzor is the author of a novel called Speak the Ocean, which is out now. I found her book on Twitter a few years ago when it was first announced, and I immediately messaged her, OMG, you have to come on the show. And then, because the way publishing works, it took like two years for that to happen. Speak the Ocean is one of the most fascinating mermaid stories that I have ever read. It imagines what it would be like if mermaids were discovered and then featured at SeaWorld in the same way that whales and dolphins are kept and perform. It's so interesting. It's a little bit creepy. It's a lot beautiful, and I could not put this book down. It's so unusual. You can find Speak the Ocean at your favorite bookstore and at the links in our show notes. So enjoy this interview with author Rebecca Enzor. Hello, Rebecca. Can you tell the people who you are and what you do? I'm Rebecca Enzor. I'm an analytical chemist in Charleston, South Carolina, and I am also a fantasy author. Yay! <laughs> um, and I have you on the podcast today because I stalked you on Twitter for a couple years. <laughs> because I mean, in a nice way. <laughs> because I saw that when I first started the podcast, you somehow you were tagged in a tweet or something about a, a mer made book and I was like oh I should have it in the podcast and you're like yeah it won't be out for like two years and I was like, yeah. fine. I was like so like every seven months I have like a reminder that would be like check in with Rebecca Enzor yeah. <laughs> so it took a while yeah I mean that's how publishing works nobody understands that if they're not in it but like you write a book and then like five years later it's ready yeah um, so I have you on because your book is coming out and this interview is going to go out um, the week your book is out so people can buy it they can also pre-order it I believe Yes. Yes. Great. So your book is called Speak the Ocean, and yes. I'm reading it right now. It's really, really wonderful. I was I went to a wedding on the subway last night, and I like 
thought it was going to take a lot longer, and then I was like, oh, I wish it was further away, because I was getting really into it. And the same thing, I was, yeah. <laughs> I was reading it today, and I was like, should we just pause the interview so I can finish? Because now it's at a really good part. Um, but you have, so I'm just warning people, it's really good, it's really interesting, and you get really into it. Um, and it's also very different from a lot of mermaid stories. So can you give people kind of a, the general premise of the book? So the premise is Blackfish meets The Little Mermaid. And Blackfish is the documentary about the orcas at SeaWorld because there was an orca who killed a few people and um, it was not a happy documentary. It took three days for me to watch the whole thing with a lot of tissues because I cried the entire time. But um, somehow when I was watching it, I was like, what if I did this but with mermaids and they're killer mermaids and they're creepy. They don't look like humans. They look like full fish, and they have claws, and they have sharp teeth, and they rip people's throats out, and it's super exciting. Yes, perfect. <laughs> and it was, it's a weird book, but that was what brought it about. <laughs> no, that's awesome. So in the book, there is a place that's like SeaWorld. They call it Oceanica, right? Yes. Yes. And it is like SeaWorld, except that instead of um, whales and and you know fish or whatever they train and perform with um they call them mers in general more than mermaids and it's in the world of this book mers have only been discovered for like six years or so yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's yeah, very they recent. Been around for a while. Okay. So it's a very recent discovery, and the main character, the main human character, is named Finn, and he's been working at Oceanica forever. His is she his aunt or kind like like a kind of aunt, kind of aunt that she so runs the place. It's his best friend's aunt. Okay. Great. Yeah. And and then but so his his best friend's his he calls her his aunt D. So she yeah. runs the place, and it is like. It is like SeaWorld or any other thing where they, they perform like four times a day. Um, yeah. You know, it's a strict schedule. Like, And they train them. They have trainers like you do with dolphins and whales and things. And then yeah. the world of the myrrh is represented by the myrrhs who, who have been captured in the, in the open water as other mammals are in like sea world yeah. <laughs> and then and there's there's a princess yay we got a mermaid princess everybody and her name is eerie and she's um you have a very interesting thing where she has been like studying the shapes of shells trying to predict because more and more mers have been disappearing and they don't know where they went so she's been right. trying to predict this pattern of why did the land folk um, come and why the boats come and why do these people disappear? And so she herself is captured and um, she's she's given to Finn to train, um, and so that's kind of where everything goes. Yeah. yeah. Um, so <laughs> the other thing that I thought is is interesting tension is Finn's dad. I'm just telling people the book now because I love it. Um, his, <laughs> Finn's dad actually discovered the Murs. No one believed him, and he's been missing. Right. Okay. Yeah. He went out on a boat trying to find them and he got lost at sea and they found his boat, but they never found him. Right. So, so, and Finn has his boat still though. Yeah. Okay, great. Yep. So he's got that connection with his dad and he's always been, he's always been, you know, following his dad around trying to be like his dad. He wants to study fish when he grows up and everything. And now he's grown up and now he's studying fish and working as a mer trainer. And like it's been his dream to get his own mer cuz you have to like kind of train up and to be yeah. able to get one, right? So now he's like got his. Yes. Um, can you tell us just tell them a little bit about how the how the trainers work with mers because I think it's fascinating from an angle of like thinking about intelligent mammal life but also <laughs> like when you translate it into working with like humanoid figures that we identify with it gets like even darker so (laughs) So can you talk about yeah talk about the birds and talk about yeah 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 what were the birds like yeah they're not gonna do tricks for fish you know they're not like it's not like a dog like oh here you're gonna get a treat if you spin a circle they don't want to do these things Mm -hmm. and they don't understand at first why they're there or being taught to do these things and they're very violent so the trainers use what is called an electroshocker, which uh, I did a lot of um, fisheries biology in college. And so we would go out to rivers and the electroshocker is basically this loop on a long pole and you stick it in the water and you hit the button and it electrifies the water and all the fish float to the surface. 
So they're just stunned and, is what it is, and that makes them float? Yeah, okay. yeah. It's um, lactic acid builds up in their muscles, uh, and so they can't move their muscles, and since they have their air bladder, they just go right up to the surface. Okay. But if you stick your person in the water when it's electrified, it really, really hurts. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and I accidentally did that once, so I know exactly how much this hurts. So when I was thinking about how are, how am I going to get these super predators mm-hmm. to do tricks, because they're not going to care if you give them dead fish, right. this is how they get them to do tricks. You do the tricks or you get shocked. So yeah, yeah, and that's a very happy way to teach them. <laughs> yeah, well, it was really interesting how you talk in the book about how they train them and and sim- get them to submit because they've captured them. You know, they're trapped in tanks. Um, and and the idea that like these t- they're like oh these tanks are so much bigger than the ones we used to have. Um, yeah. is like so. Uh, can you tell us just tell us about the MERS um, in general, like their society, what they look like, so people have a picture of it. Okay, so um, first off, what they look like is they are all fish, so they're green scales from head to tail. Um, They don't have any noses, Mm -hmm. and they don't have any ears, which is a big part of the book, which you'll find out towards (laughs) the end. Um, They have, like, most of them have brightly colored hair. The ones that go out to do all the hunting have darker colored hair, uh, just so that they can, you know, sneak up on the fish. They're like camouflage. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And they live in this big sedum. It looks... (laughs) It looks just like the cover of The Little Mermaid, yes. <laughs> like the castle <laughs> with all the polyps and everything. Yeah. So they live in the sedum, and the sedum is protected by um, a petrified forest, which is a real thing. Oh, yeah. Tell me about found- that. Because I yeah. read that word, and I was like, what is happening with a petrified yeah. forest? Tell me about it. Okay. So this is really cool. There was, I think it was maybe five or six years ago, um, after one of the big hurricanes came through the Gulf, some... Somebody just went out and was fishing or something and noticed something weird on the bottom. And so they sent divers and there are tree stumps, petrified tree stumps on the bottom of the ocean where there had been a forest and then the ocean took over. And so it's really cool. And they're still there. They won't tell anyone where it is because they don't want them destroyed. And they're going to be destroyed anyways just by the tides. But for right now, they're still there. And so I, I kind of made full trees right. for my book. So it's it's like a sunken, petrified forest of something that used to be above land, and then the ocean took over. Yeah, yeah. And like obviously, the salt would kill the trees, and that's why they would be petrified. Yeah. Okay. So oh, yeah. this, when you were describing the sedum, this is where I was like, wow, being a scientist is a really huge asset to being an author because I also write mermaid stuff, but mine every time I don't have an answer, I'm like magic. <laughs> I was like, oh, like you're using real words for fishes. <laughs> and like, and like yeah. you know all the names of the rocks under the ocean. <laughs> like, yeah. That, I, uh, that was I'm like really that, into ocean stuff. No, I was and, like, I was like, oh, her like her ocean game is on point. Yeah. Um, yeah. because I was watch I was reading the description of the sea dumb and, and it was like really, really really, really beautiful and really, really clear to be able to understand. And I was like, oh, this is someone who's dealt with like biology or trying to make the concept of things explainable because it was it was really nice yeah. to be like oh I see exactly where we are in the ocean and all that so good job nails that's awesome You're thank you <laughs> <laughs> um, okay so they so they have scales they don't have noses that part was kind of funny when I read I read that because they're t- yeah. they talking about like the bumps on the faces of land folk and I was like what and I was thinking like forehead protrusion <laughs> for a second and then I was like oh no they mean my nose yeah <laughs> the nose <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and. Yeah, so that was really, yeah, that is really cool. Okay, and then when they're underwater, their society is, it seems a little bit like what we kind of normally think of for, like, underwater kingdom. Like, there's a king, there's some princesses. Yeah. <laughs> e- Eerie has this, like, cute boyfriend, and they kind of, like, sneak away. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, and then she has the, another important character. Can you tell us about her dolphin guard? Yes, so Niku is her dolphin guard, and he is the crankiest dolphin you will ever meet in your life, (laughs) and I love him. He might be my favorite character in the book, because he's always, he's sort of the Sebastian character from The Little Mermaid, Mm -hmm. so he's always telling Eerie, you can't do that, we shouldn't do that, it's not safe, you know, let's go back home and be safe, and she's always like, no, I want to do this, and so he's always trying to keep her safe, and it doesn't work out yeah. because she gets captured. She gets and captured. 
And he puts himself in the net with her Mm -hmm. to try to save her because he thinks if the fishermen think they caught a dolphin, they'll let them go. Right. Right. But the fishermen see him and still bring them both up. And so now they're both at Oceanica together. Right. Which is like beautiful that they have each other, but also you're like, oh, yeah. And and in this world, every, is it every royal family member has a guard? Yes. Okay. Okay. So that's why she has one because she's royal. Um, Yeah. What's really interesting is before she's captured, you really experience the the kind of way that the whole society has shifted now that they realize they've been discovered, and yes. that there's really intelligent. They have like you know, grandmothers, grandfathers, like old elders taking care of children. They have like a you know a complex society, which made me think a lot of um, like a Bronze Age society or something in like the yeah. like, family structure and technology that they had, um, yeah. and. Then, the, but their whole bewilderment of like, why do people keep looking for them is yeah. really interesting. Like, why are they here and what do they want? You know? Yeah, um, exactly. And then coupled with like the cruelty of realizing that like some of their people keep disappearing and they don't also don't know what the land folk want with them. So, I mean, yeah. that was interesting because I think there's a there's a tradition, and I would love to talk to you about this. There's a tradition of mermaid literature where, like, usually the mermaid is kind of a free character, and she yeah. like happens on a rock to see a human, and there's like you know there's a liminal space where they get to meet or something, yeah. and and then it's really about like can they spend more time together? How do you exist in between two different worlds? Yeah. Um, but but this story is really about like it feels like this could happen in five years. Like if they did discover yeah. that this is exactly what we would do is we would end up oh, like yeah. capturing them and putting them in sea world and oh, yeah. yeah. And they would make a lot of money. Um, <laughs> um, oh yeah. I would go see a mermaid. Yeah. Know, oh, 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 for sure. For sure. Yeah. And then you're like, Oh, maybe I wouldn't now that I realize yeah. they've been like captured and they're intelligent. And uh, I mean, it's, it's some squicky feelings there. Yeah. Um, but can you tell us a little bit about your experience with like mermaid stories and, and you know, were you, have you, always been into them is this just like a natural meeting of your interest so what's your mermaid life so when i was six i went to see the little mermaid in the theater and it was the first movie in the theater i ever saw so that kind of stuck with me it's sort of been my special thing and you know i grew up watching the movie every day when i was little and i know all the lines to the entire movie and um and when i turned 30 i bought the blu-ray for myself as a birthday present because i'm that person yes no correct (laughs) yeah and and then um i went to college for fisheries biology with the intent to go into marine biology okay and then i became a nuclear chemist instead because it pays better Ah, (laughs) but i did ah. move to the beach and so you know i i i've been out to the beach a lot there's dolphins out there when we go swimming i live in charleston south carolina so you know, there's a lot going on out there. And then we um, we took a couple trips down to Key West, Florida, mm-hmm. which is where the book is set. Because yes. I loved Key West. I loved going out and being able to snorkel. And, you know, if you go even just a few miles away, it's there's nothing there. It's just ocean forever. Yeah. And so you can imagine something might be there, right. you know. You can't see the bottom of the water. So right. anything could be hiding there. So that's why I did Key West because I love it. And then how did you, so you, you watched the documentary Blackfish and that gave you the idea to set something with, uh, yes. like with a little mermaid, but had you been writing before or like, I want to f- see how you got from science into fiction. Oh yeah. That's not, I mean, it's natural. It's so yeah. natural, but how did it happen for you? Um, for me, I was, so I lived an hour and a half from my boyfriend at the time during college. And now I married him. He's my husband. Oh, great. <laughs> and uh, so I got bored and I was, I just started writing little stories mm-hmm. because we live so far away from each other. And so it's not like I was over at his place all the time. Like I would have been otherwise. So I just started writing silly little stories, which was actually, I started with My Little Pony. I wrote My Little Pony fan fiction to start. If you have a, if you want to give me later your like secret fanfic pen name, I will like let people know because they might be into it. <laughs> um, maybe. 
Okay, no pressure. I'm just saying. Yeah. It's like if you feel like sharing it, I'm sure yeah. we have a fan that would want it. Yeah. Okay, so you're writing My Little Pony fanfic. Yeah. A plus. That's how a lot of people cut their teeth in fiction now. If they oh, start yeah. with fanfic, so oh, legit absolutely. path to publishing. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So I did that first, and then started writing an original story, and. Then I wrote more original stories, and then nine books later, I wrote Speak the Ocean. And Whoa. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it takes a long time to become an author yes. when you're already a scientist, because it's two totally different ways of writing. Yes. So in science, it's all passive voice, and you know you want to make it as sort of bland and meh as possible so that it's easy to understand. Mm-hmm. And so I had to unlearn how to write and relearn how to write fiction. Yeah. So it took a lot of years. Yeah. And so in Speak the Ocean is your debut publishing, your publishing debut. Yes. But you've read It's the ninth book I've yes. written. That, no, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> that yeah. makes a lot of sense. Um, okay. And then you also, I think I read somewhere in your bio that you also do some workshops or something around putting science in fiction or like helping people with that. Can you yes. talk about that? Yes. So um, Dan Cobalt, who is also an author, he had he has a blog called um, uh, Science for Science Fiction Authors, I think it is. And uh, so he asked me to write a, a little story for it, like a little, you know, what, how would you write about, you know, being in the lab? So I wrote a little article about this is what being in a lab is like for people who don't work in a lab. Yeah but who want to add that to their books. So, you know, stuff like pull your hair back so it doesn't go in chemicals and, you know, don't wear necklaces that are dangling. And if you get, you know, nitric acid on your eyelid, here is what you do. Oh, that's (laughs) a good time. (laughs) Yeah. Another personal experience. (laughs) Great. (laughs) And uh, so um, I did that. And then he actually got a book deal to turn a bunch of these articles into a book. So the book is called Putting the Science in Fiction, and it's somewhere like almost 40 different scientists have come together to write different articles for this book. And so you can find out a lot of, you know, general ideas for how to make the science in your book correct. So that came out last October, and I've also done another, um, after the book was out, uh, I did another article for him about nuclear radiation poisoning. Ooh. So, like, how to kill people with nuclear radiation poisoning. Are you, like, you're, like, Chernobyl's personal expert. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I haven't watched that yet. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> I'm it's sure that you got it all wrong. <laughs> yeah. And that's a fair point from your, like, from your professional um, observation. But, uh, ooh. But I will say, The Expanse got it right. They did. Okay. Both the book and the show, they got it right in The Expanse. So, yay, The okay. Expanse. That's good to know. That's good to know. Um Wow. Okay. So, yeah. So, the one thing that I was found interesting reading your book is I want to make sure that if you if you guys are listening and you're reading the book and you don't have any scientific knowledge, like don't worry, this is not hard to understand at all. But I did think there were a lot of little science Easter eggs in it, which I I appreciated, yes. and I'm sure there's more even that I didn't catch. But like <laughs> when they when they bring in the MERS that they've captured, they rename them um, after the the periodic table, yes. um, which is great, you know, and then it's also like, oh, you give them a nickname based on like the letter for the element. It was like, good, yes. good joke. <laughs> okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. They're total um, science geeks. So yeah. they which, everyone after the periodic table. Right. Which they would, because you, as you learn about the people, the, the trainers, I think it's probably what we should talk about next is that they all um, have at least like some de- degrees or like a lot of marine biology experience or like, you know, this is what they wanted to be doing. And then now MERS are in the world and that's like what they do. But let's talk about, about the trainers and the kind of culture of Oceanica because, um, you know, Finn having, Finn having a dad who discovered MERS, but who like was not given the credit for it. Um, he has yeah. a really interesting viewpoint on like what the human knowledge is of them, and as we learn in the book, everything that he thought he knew is completely tested, um, right? Yeah. Because they've trained them to be so docile that you actually don't learn anything about them. Um, yeah. So, so let's talk about Oceanica, like how it got started, about Auntie D, the like kind of family saga, you know, as far as you can yeah. without giving things. Okay. <laughs> but like from what we know in the beginning of the book, what is the world of Oceanica? So Oceanica was sort of the brainchild of the main character, Finn. 
and Aunt D, who is Delmara. Um, and that's his best friend's actual aunt. And he just calls her Aunt D because he's grown up with her. Right. So Aunt D was his father's teaching assistant at his father worked at uh, Key West Community College and did marine biology, taught marine biology, and then she became his teaching assistant. And so when he went missing, she sort of had a breakdown and she was like, I'm going to discover the myrrh and prove him right. So she keeps going out and she does eventually catch one and she brings it back to the community college and puts it in this tank that's made for tarpon. So it's a big tank, but it's not quite big enough for the myrrh to swim around in. And, uh, and yeah, she goes and gets the whole family and fins with the family. And so he goes with her and he sees this myrrh in a tank and realizes his father is right. Mm -hmm. And so he asks if he can, you know, help her, you know, uh, do all the sciencey categorization stuff and, they try to uh, they try to dissect them, but when Murr die, they turn into sea foam. Which is a beautiful tribute to Hans Christian Andersen's The Little yes. Mermaid, because that's the mythology in that story, is that when mermaids die, when the sea yeah. folk die, they become sea foam. Um, they yes. don't have souls, they don't have any like bones or body to find, it's just sea foam. Um, yeah. So that, I thought, was a beautiful tribute to that literary tradition of mermaids, so... <laughs> A plus plus. So, but like you said, that is really interesting. They have to be very at the same time that they're trying to train them to be docile and tame and perform in these shows. They have to be very delicate because yes. the minute they're like wounded or too much, or they just foam die. Oh yeah, yeah. It's really death. easy to kill a mermaid. Yeah. And you can get past the claws. <laughs> and from a sci right, and from a science point, I can see that, that would be really frustrating because so much of what science has learned is from dissecting dead yes. things. Um, like dead people, dead animals, dead everything. Oh, yeah. um, so from a scientific point of view, I can see that being like a very delicate balance of like, I want to study you, but if I kill you, it's all gone. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. <yes. laughs> like, um, so it's really hard to figure out like their inner physiology mm -hmm. and their life cycle and stuff because A, they don't have them long enough usually before they turn into foam right. to, to, to watch their whole life cycle. So they have no idea how they mate. They have no idea what they're like when they're young. Mm -hmm. They have no idea what they're like when they're old mm -hmm. because they keep just catching, you know, basically the hunters. Yeah. And so they're kind of, you know, regular right. middle life. And the hunters are the ones that go out and scout, so they're further out, and that's why they would end up getting captured because yes. the main community is, it, like, guarded behind the petrified forest and, like, yes. at a place where yeah. the humans haven't figured out where they are. And they, uh, they, in fact, have no idea how large the community is or anything because oh, they yeah. just scoop one up in a fishing net and then they're like, yee Yeah. Got they've it. caught single ones or sometimes two of them together, yeah. but they don't know if they, you know, swim in pods like whales do or if they have like a reef that they hang out near they have no idea where to find them so they just kind of get lucky like yeah that. and they can't and in fact they can't learn anything about them because they immediately tame them so that they don't even they don't even let, let them touch each other or like yeah. like make noise so yeah. they have no way of <laughs> studying what their behavior patterns are other than like shocking them and making them jump up and touch exactly. a ball um, yeah. which is kind of like great but you're not really you're missing a lot of the point <laughs> yeah. uh, right, you can get them to do that but yeah you're not learning it's, anything it's like enough that. science for entertainment but not for like any real knowledge or value which i mean on one hand i and i think there's eerie starts to get into this point it's like if the humans knew any more about them the mer would be in more danger than they already are oh, yeah. so it's probably Definitely. probably safest um yeah <laughs> Um, but also, what I thought was interesting in this oceanic world is there are trainers who and they each are assigned a mer and then they have them perform. Um, <laughs> but there's a real tension because unlike what you usually see in a sea world type of environment, the mers are apex predators who are like captured, pissed off, and lethal. <laughs> and so any uh, they are and and they have nothing to do but study the humans and wait for them to make a mistake so that they can kill oh, them. Yeah. So trainers are constantly dying, and oh, yes. <laughs> and which is yeah. like a, it's like way like I like part of the book has parts of the training manual in it. And you're like I really don't know if these like practices would fly <laughs> like like, <laughs> like just because like so many humans keep humans keep dying. But then but then it's yeah. it's the same. I know this happens in like other environments, but if um 
you know, like when there's like a rabid animal they are put down. And so that's yeah. how they treat the myrrh. So if a myrrh attacks a human, then they are immediately put down. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that has been Finn's job a lot. Yeah. Uh, because he Finn has been the one to do that. Right. Cause he's wanted to prove that he can work his way up to being a trainer. So he's kind of taken on any dirty work that exactly. needs to happen. Also because he has the scientific interest, like he wants to study and, get close yeah. to them um and it's really interesting to see that he's like he has so much more knowledge i think than anybody else because he's done the dirty work um yes. but also he's been just very young as well uh, oh yeah <laughs> and then this the social part of of the you know the, the kids that are working there i mean it just reminds me of like any other summer job like they're gonna go back to school like mm-hmm. after their shift is over they put the mermaids in the tank for the night they go out and drink and like make out and <laughs> regular people right it's like any other summer yeah. job where you're like okay like I take off oh, yeah. your you know your uniform t-shirt and then like yeah. go, go and out. then you're just a 21 year old right yeah exactly it's totally the same um yeah but they have like a, a really unusual profession or or occupation yeah um, it kind of reminds me, like, they're a little bit of, like, rock stars sometimes. It reminds me of, like, when firemen go out and ladies are like, ooh. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> oh, yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. you know, if you go out and you tell a drunk girl that you work with mermaids, yeah, she's like, going to be super into that. <laughs> Show me your aerial. I also enjoy the gift shop that is there where it has, like, stuffed <laughs> reproductions of, like, whatever the star mermaid is. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, I love that. Yeah, yeah, that's that's really good. Um, so I don't want to give away too much from the book, but you know, when you were thinking of this and what you wanted to show, like you introduced a lot of interesting questions about like how do we treat um, like things or that we've captured how do we deal with like the autonomy of each living being? Um, you know, a lot of questions about like what. And it's not just, like, an accusation or, like, an indictment of, like, SeaWorld or anything like that, too. Yeah. It's kind of, like, an indictment of, like, the limits of human curiosity um, yeah. and our, like, f- quest for knowledge and where the boundaries of that yeah. get iffy. Um, right. So, yeah, so what was some of the stuff that you were thinking about, like, as, as you were writing this book? Like, were there any questions that made you go really deep? Was there anything that surprised you? Did you, like... I mean, did you have any, like, realizations about things? Like, what what was it like for you to, like, kind of have a, a moral, ethical dilemma within this, like, fun mermaid idea? It was it was really interesting because it did get me thinking a lot more about not just the orcas at SeaWorld or, you know, dolphins at Shedd Aquarium in Chicago that were making do these tricks just for our enjoyment. Right. But, you know, I even started thinking about zoos. Like, mm-hmm. is, is it okay to keep animals in zoos? And... And I still have a lot of conflicted feelings about that. And I mean, some of those animals aren't going to survive on their own. And mm-hmm. some of them will go extinct if they're not in the zoo and there are breeding programs and, you know, education is great. And, but still you've got, you know, like the cheetah chasing the little thing around that's on a track just to get exercise. Right. Because, you know, they you got to exercise the cheetahs because yeah. that's what they do. That's their whole thing is running fast. Right. So, so yeah, it led me to a lot of uh, a lot of questions about how do we treat animals that we've captured? Why have we captured them in the first place? Mm-hmm. You know, our what are our intentions? And you know, the more intelligent a creature is, an animal is, you know, what? Yeah, where is that line where? Like, should you have monkeys in zoos? Should you have elephants in zoos? Like, it's, I, it's a really hard line to right. And you're, out. and you're all, and it's also like right, like you said, like sometimes there's like a scientific or educational benefit or a preservation benefit to these things. And mm-hmm. the, but then, but then when you think about the entertainment factor of it, you're like, yeah, what is yeah. our obligation? What's our responsibility? Where are we, you know, yeah. falling on that? Where are we making things worse when we think they're making them better? Um, yeah. And I think you also kind of because because Mers, your even though your your mers are not as like human as like an aerial figure or like any other mermaid figure where they have like you know like like a full breast and a nose yeah. and all this you know no claws and just, just like beautiful yeah um, singing on a rock right and like just sunning themselves <laughs> yeah. um, so even though you don't have that and they are, have a lot more in common biologically with like 
with other underwater mammals, um, I think you kind of hit on also like an anthropological dilemma um, because we immediately, having a character that is one we immediately identify with her and therefore empathize yeah. with her, we also empathize with Finn because we get his perspective as well and you end up empathizing yeah. with a lot of the trainers because they're also people. Um, so yeah. you see like where it conflicts and like where, you know, obviously like you don't want the murder to kill the human, but you're like, I don't really blame them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, 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 uh, right. Them, but... It's like when people are swimming the sharks and they get hurt, you're like, well, there was a shark. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, of course. So I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> Grab the shark's tail. Yeah. Like, the yeah. What were you That's expecting? What <laughs> But because they have, like, a society and, like, some, and, and they have emotions and intellect and all these things that we identify with, it's almost like an anthropological conundrum of, it's that, that thing where if you insert yourself in a society to observe it, you're already affecting it. And yeah. I think it goes both ways. Like, obviously, the humans, by just on the surface yeah. having captured a few, affect, like, oh, the, yeah. the, they disrupt the society and culture of the underwater see them and then the same thing with the MERS like obviously it's like you know blowing people's minds oh my god these things from myth are real they're much fishier than we thought (laughs) but it's it's almost like two like mirror reflections of the society like you you kind of unveil a lot of reveal a lot of things about humans by showing how they treat things in captivity and you show I think some things about the murders by their response to it but also the way that they like their only defense is to hide um, yeah you know and and also but also that they have no coping skills or mechanisms and aren't really developing anything other than to hide to this like a, a yeah this adapt this changing world is like yeah that's the only exactly. adaptation and they're running out of food or at yeah. least they're they're not able to hunt right you know without the fear of these boats right is a very valid fear because yeah. that's when they keep getting caught is when yeah. they're out hunting so a lot of them are starving mm-hmm. you know they finally get desperate and they go out and hunt and that's when they get caught yeah and so humans are having a huge effect on them yeah because their whole society which was you know pretty carefree mermaidy yeah go hunt eat fish you know make more mermaids yeah. um <laughs> they all of a sudden it's all kind of ground to a halt and they can't do anything except take a chance and then, and then you know what happens. Yeah. yeah. And then and I think you kinda hit on something that's at the kernel, at least from a human perspective, at the kernel of a lot of like scientific quest for knowledge. It's like it's like almost that like that Adam and Eve Apple thing. It's like like yeah. what like what do you what's the price you pay for knowledge? Is it like losing your own humanity because you're treating something evilly and with cruelty and you're not you know, thinking compassionately for the species you're dealing with. And, um, I don't know. So yeah, your science brain on and you're like focused on, I want to learn this, 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 and this, but you know, then you try to dissect one and it turns to foam. Yeah. Whoops. I filmed that. Kill the creature. Then just go capture another one. Oh, great. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That didn't work. Let's try again. Yeah. It was just that one. (laughs) I also thought it was kind of interesting. I, so a slight segue. I don't know if you watched the mermaid show siren on Freeform. I haven't, but okay. I just found out that it's on Hulu. Yes. I couldn't figure out it. where Freeform was. Uh, the <laughs> so. Freeform also has, like, an app and a website that I think you can read. You can watch them on, like, slightly delayed, yeah. but you can definitely watch, like, the first season. But, yes, yeah. on Hulu. Um, yeah. So, anyway, so, I mean, it's a totally different kind of thing, but it is, like, the mermaids are predators. They are, like, sharp teeth, sharp yeah. um, fangs. They have, like, barbed tails. You know, they are definitely predatory on land and on water but they are they are of the mythology where a mermaid sheds or like molts and then has legs on land um but um there's all this there's a love triangle between the two marine biologist students who are who have like found the mermaid you know and so it's like yeah. this like lovely it's like this like lovely and also sometimes like soap opera e, um like polyamorous <laughs> love triangle thing you know and then what i love is i'm on some facebook fan groups for the show and they're like oh my god they totally all got it on and now the mermaid's pregnant <laughs> so, like, everyone's, like, everyone's sure that like the mermaid's pregnant and i'm like and i kind of think that like the fan theories are like pretty great and I'm like I don't know that might be even better than what actually is going to happen like she's pregnant awesome. and like that's why she's acting so crazy <laughs> like, you know? um, will it be human or will it be fish right exactly and like oh she's even more predatory because she's like 
it's the maternal hormones, you know, or like, oh yeah, that's why she's like, <laughs> evil or whatever. So anyway, no. and there is like military characters who are trying to like study her and, you know, uh, so there's a lot of ethical <laughs> around all yeah. of that. Um, um, so, but anyway, so I thought it was interesting because one thing that happens in yours is that they can't touch each other. So they actually have no idea how they breed, how they mate, yeah. how they interact or anything. And, um, at least as far as I've read, um, yeah. but I, I think that's interesting too, because so many mermaid stories and so much of the mermaid imagination is about like human pairings. Yeah. And I was really interested to see that so far the romance has only been between species, the, trainers. the trainers and with trainers. Yeah. Like, no interspecies. Yeah. Which well, are fish, so it would be. Yeah, like, exactly. And I was like, oh, right, oh, right. And, like, mythology where they're, like, basically human but with tails, it's like, oh, it's yeah. fine. Then I was like, no, this would be, like, that like that guy that wrote that book about, like, mating with a dolphin. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And that's creepy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And this would be even creepier because they have scales and they yeah. are cold. Yeah. Because they're not mammals. They're fish. They're yeah, cold. They're they cold. feel kind of gross. And so it would just... Well, yeah, no, yeah. So I was like, oh, yeah, yeah this, this feels more real. You wouldn't want to, like, snuggle up to these clawing fish. Yeah. <laughs> no. um, but so what... So that was interesting, too, because I remember at some point they're talking and they they talk very specifically about, like, the mammals that they have, like, dolphins and orcas and then versus the mers. And so what... So the mers are fish. Do they have, like, a species that they've come up with for them? Like, what is... How do they classify? Uh, huh. Yeah, they do, and I didn't put it in the book, so now I've forgotten it. Great. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I went and, I, like, I did all this research of, like exactly what kind of fish they would have come from and like i gave them a scientific name yes. and i never made it into the book and so I haven't you should you should say that for like your newsletter as like a little background manual of like the the like you know like the hidden papers of yeah. anti d like the classification <laughs> genus species family yeah. tree like however like, you know, like, yeah like you know all the, you know that, that what's that famous picture of like the monkey gets into the tall guy like that yeah that thing. <laughs> But for fish. Go from, like, that would be a super a, old ancient fish into yeah, the mermaid. <laughs> that would be a genius um, thing. Okay, so speaking of that, what did you, did you see that nature planet mockumentary that was about? Yes. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so about What the did mermaid. you think about that? Yeah. That was awesome. Yeah. I love that. They came yeah. out almost right around the same time that I started working on the book. Yeah. And I loved it. It was so great. Yeah. Because so they, they are, like, monkeys that then go in the ocean that then, like, suddenly yeah. morph into, like... But like yeah. they're like they're mer people, but like they have like this weird, weird thing with their heads, almost like a helmet. And then you're like, are they Roman ancestors? Yeah. <laughs> like... It didn't make any sense. I love yeah. it. <laughs> it, was, it was great. I, I totally see why people are like, oh my god, it's real. But in that, they had dolphins. Like they're like, this is how we prove that they were here because the dolphins. How do they learn how to corral tuna? It's from the mermaids. <laughs> like <Yeah>. what? <laughs> Sure. Oh my gosh, that was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, just a couple more questions. So, in the book, the mers communicate with dolphins, and they have a language which we don't hear very much because they're not really allowed to speak. But Erie right. does communi- communicate a little bit. So, what is the mer language like? In because this is where I was like, oh, it's interesting that the mers have a way they can talk to the dolphins that the humans can't hear. And yes. then they had a way to talk that the dolphin that the humans could hear and could understand through the water. So can you talk a little bit about like the logistics of like sound and I don't know echolocation yeah. or something? Yeah. yeah. Um, so the mers the mers can only speak out loud. Okay. But the dolphins, when they speak, they use a type of echolocation to speak. Okay. So they can do the out loud like dolphiny noises like yeah. Hey! Yeah. that was a horrible dolphin. I'm sorry. No, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so they can do that. But they can also speak through echolocation. Mm-hmm. So you have to be in the water with them. It doesn't go very far, so you can't be very far away from them. Mm-hmm. But Niku can speak to Erie without any of the land folk hearing him, mm-hmm. even when there's microphones in the water. Okay. But if Erie tries to speak to Niku, they can hear her. Got it. So okay. when she's performing, she has to be quiet. Um, anytime that any of the trainers who are a little trigger happy with the electroshocker around mm-hmm. she can't talk to him because they will shock her right. because the first rule you learn is you don't make noise because if you look almost humanish 
and you start making weird noises while you're performing, people are going to freak out. And that is why, I mean, that's, it's a very deliberate choice by the staff of Oceanica. Like, that's the, yeah. literally the first lesson is they get shocked from making any sort of noise. I thought it was really interesting because I felt like it kind of revealed more than it hid, is that, like, they do know that these creatures are a lot more human than they're treating them like. Yeah. But um, they're going to hide that from themselves and the public so that they can, like, make oh, yeah. the money and have them perform. And I thought that, like, really interesting, they have to constantly remind, the trainers have to constantly remind themselves that these are predators. And so the question they keep asking each other is, like, when you look at this mermaid, do you see Ariel or a Velociraptor? Yes. Yeah, and I thought that was great. Yeah. Because they're like, if you see Ariel, you'll get slack. Yep. You're going to die. You're going to die. If you see a velociraptor, you pretend like you're constantly dealing with a velociraptor. You're going to survive your job. Yeah, exactly. Your summer job is cool, but might get you murdered. Yeah, by a fish. By a fish. (laughs) Who has ever been murdered by a fish before? I was like, I don't think they're making enough money to, like, justify being, like, (laughs) pulled in the tank by a fish. Yeah. But... But the cool they do factor. tell people that they work with mermaids, yeah, so exactly. it kind of evens out. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, yeah, there's pros and cons, pros and cons to everything. Exactly. Um, that's awesome. So, do you have any anything for the future? Like, uh, you, you know, is will, will there be more in this world? Um, do you think your mermaid interest will always follow you? Or, like, you know, when you see yeah. it's in the future of what, what you're making, like, where do you see the mermaids fitting in? Right now, this is the only book planned okay. in this world. Um, I do have a short story called She's Mine, and that is on the Charleston City Paper website. It came out um, in their literary issue in December. Cool. So, And that is uh, the first trainer who died. It's just a little short story about, from the Murr point of view okay. about why that Murr decides to kill her. Ooh, okay. So it's really good. It's dark. It's, I love it. Yeah. (laughs) It came out the day after Christmas and I was like, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Merry Christmas. Here's the murder. (laughs) I don't know. Sometimes Christmas is rough and you're tied to your family and maybe you just need to read something a little murderous. (laughs) Like, yeah, maybe that's fine. (laughs) And and it's a big point of backstory for the whole rest of the book. So if you read it, you'll really understand a lot of what they talk about in the book. Oh yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, and then and then um, I'm working on. It's not exactly mermaids, but it's um, an adult epic fantasy, mm-hmm. and there are um, sulkies in it, which are like people that turn into seals. Yeah, and so there aren't actual sulkies in it, okay. but the people think that there are sulkies, and so this girl shows up, and they think that she was a seal because all of a sudden the seals come back. And they've been gone for so long, and so they kind of revere her, and so there's a little bit of mermaid play with that. Yeah, no, that's cool. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And do you have any favorite mermaid books or stories or podcasts or anything that you generally recommend? Yes. Okay, so what what are some of your faves? I I even wrote them down so I would not forget them and, like, totally blank. Great. Fathomless by Jackson Pierce. Oh, okay. Is one of my favorite mermaid books ever. Okay, great. And it's a little bit darker and kind of creepy, and there's some other crazy monsters in it, and I really loved that one. Okay, awesome. Um, The Vicious Deep series by Zoraida Cordova. Yes, I love that. Also, she's just fantastic. Oh, yeah, she's awesome. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. and then there is a short story anthology called Mermaids and Other Mysteries of the Deep that was edited by Paula Graham. Okay. Graham. I'm not entirely sure how to say that. Um, and that has a really, it's got a lot of really cool stories, but it has a really interesting story by Seanan McGuire, who also read into the, or wrote Into the Drowning Deep. As Mira Grant. So excellent right. book. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yes. That um, one's like super horror so i haven't read the whole thing yet because i usually read them at night and, I, and then i get too scared <laughs> yeah, that's why i have to watch stranger things during the daytime yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> and the her mermaid story in that book is really cool because it's um, um like the military is turning women they're giving women like fins and gills so that they can go do these underwater operations and so the more 
you know, surgery they go through, the more like a mermaid they become. It's just so good. Oh my gosh. Oh, it's like, it's like X-Men kind of, or like, um, like, uh, Hugh Jack, was the werewolf, the werewolf, Hugh Jackman. Oh yeah. 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 Like, yeah. I know which one you're talking about. I can't think of the name. (laughs) You guys know Hugh Jackman werewolf. You'll get it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Wolverine! Wolverine! With the claws! Yeah. It's like that. It's like Wolverine. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. It's it's sort of like that, and so it was really, really well done. Um, And then uh, Sea Witch by Sarah Hunting. Oh. Okay. Love that one. Great. I haven't read that one yet, and I'm glad to hear it recommended. Okay. Okay, great. It's a really cool take on, like, The Little Mermaid, and... Awesome. I just absolutely love it. Great. So I'm going to get these recs from you and everyone listening. I'll put them on the show notes at mermaidpodcast.com so that you can binge or read. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Read mermaid. <laughs> awesome. Um, well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And, and you know, I know this is your debut. So I hope I wish you a great amount of luck and success and thank try to so take some deep breaths during your launch week yeah. it's, a, it's a little <laughs> anticlimactic you have to do like a lot of work and then also on the day of you're like there it's out <laughs> like, yeah i know i feel like it's gonna be like such a build-up that i'll be like okay i need to sleep now well you kind of expect like cannons to go off or like a parade like in that yeah. what happens is that you like people buy it and they're like i bought it and you're like great Yay! That one. Then, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so definitely like, go out to dinner and celebrate so that you're like, okay, I, I did this thing. Yeah. Um, it actually comes out on my husband's birthday. Oh! So thanks. we'll be celebrating his birthday the day that Are you, are you like, um, happy birthday to you, but happy b- birthday to me? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so tell people where they can find you. So you can find me on RebeccaEnzor.com and at Twitter at RebeccaEnzor. And Instagram, Rebecca.Enzor. I tried to make it easy and just do Rebecca Enzor for everything. So if you look up Rebecca Enzor, you'll find me. (laughs) Great. And the book is called Speak the Ocean, and it comes out July 9th. And you definitely want to pre-order it or order it from your favorite bookseller or independent booksellers. Always good, too. Plug those indies. Um, All right. Awesome. Well, thank you, Rebecca. Yes, thank you so much. Okay. This has been fun. Yeah, I agree. We'll nerd out on this any day. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, Mers. It's Laura again. Quick note Rebecca was good enough to make time for this interview while taking care of her sick cat while in the middle of a book launch. I know how hard it can be to have a sick pet. And so it is the great honor of the Mermaid Podcast to dedicate this episode to the memory of Muskie the Moose Cat. Muskie, you were a very good kitty and you will be missed. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, please tell a friend or leave a review. Reviews are really important because they help other mermaid lovers find us. The easiest thing to do is leave a review right in the app that you are using to listen to this episode or leave a review on our Facebook page. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram. We are at Mermaid Podcast, and we always love to see you on social media. Again, we will have links to all the mermaid news mentioned in this episode on our website, mermaidpodcast.com. Our jingle was recorded by Tori Scott, the world-famous cabaret singer. She performs internationally, and you can find her schedule at itstoriescott.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your reviews and your feedback. And thank you to Rebecca Enzor. You inspire us to never quit our daydream. It's the Mermaid Podcast. We've got mermaids on the land and down below. Legs or fins, you will love our show. All the news that makes a splash is on the Mermaid Podcast.